Welcome to Off the Beaten Path, but not lost. With Tony, Kristen, Kylie, and Lexi. Join us on this RV full-time living journey. Across the beautiful United States. Where the fail was. Welcome to episode 78. In today's episode, we're taking you on a journey through the cosmos. And the kiddos aren't going to be here. <laughs> Just so uh, you know, the next few episodes, it's going to be like hit or miss if they're on. So if you come for the kids, <laughs> we'll let you know in the beginning of the podcast if they're going to be on or not. This one, they're not. In this episode, we're going to explore the world of stargazing in our national parks. Whether you're a seasoned stargazer or complete beginner, we'll guide you through some of the best national parks for dark skies, share tips for a successful stargazing experience, and discuss how you can engage your kids in this fascinating and educational activity. As always, if you need any of the show notes or links to this episode, you can find them at thefailas.com slash 78. We are really excited to introduce our shop of one-of-a-kind collection, apparel, accessories, featuring fun slogans, and creative designs. You can find them at exploremorethreads.com. Sign up for the launch. They're not launched yet, and we actually had to extend the date a little bit. We got into Michigan, and my family's been soaking up my time, so I haven't been working on it. So I had to extend the date a little bit. (laughs) But if you sign up for the emails, you will get a launch email. I'll even throw in a discount if you sign up before we launch. We're going to have a lot of fun designs. Off-roading, Designs, RV life, nomadic, adventure. Yeah, it's all about adventure. So it's going to be fun. The cool thing about these designs is everybody in our family has had some input on creating these designs. Some of them are just pictures that we've taken and we've put into, you know, graphic design. Mm-hmm. Even the kids have come up with some of them. So, yep. <laughs> and they've come up with some really good ones. <laughs> Kylie has come up with some funny ones. Yep. Yeah, they they have fun getting involved in that. So definitely go there, exploremorethreads.com. We'll have the link in the show notes if you forget, and uh, sign up for updates. What are dark skies? There's a few parameters to be a dark sky. It has to be an area where the natural nighttime environment is preserved, meaning there has to be minimal light pollution or no light pollution from like artificial sources like streetlights, buildings, vehicles, and things like that. These areas are normally better for stargazing, obviously, as long as the weather's good, and photography, as the darkness allows for better visibility of the stars, constellations, the Milky Way, all of the good stuff. Yeah, we were going through pictures yesterday for this post, for the blog post, and it's funny because I, I found a folder of some Aurora photos that I took, and I was super excited to look through. But the first couple of pictures I took were super blurry. I hadn't focused it yet. And off on the horizon, you can see the green glow of the aurora. But because it was out of focus and the stars were kind of like exaggerated, they were like big, bright, like fuzzballs, the Big Dipper was perfectly... In focus. In out. <laughs> it wasn't in focus, but it was like popping out. It yeah. was a perfect shape. Kind of like one of those 3D photos or one of those photos yeah. are like... 
tell us what you see in these stars. Yeah. And then the <laughs> next couple series of photos was focused and you they just blended right in. So it was kind of neat. Dark sky areas are very hard to find, mostly because of cities. Urban sprawl. <laughs> yeah. All the towns and stuff. And you have to be so far away from it for it to... Um, you know, the the limited light pollution. Yeah, you can be miles and miles away from any town, but you if once you get a if you're doing photography, if you do long exposure, you'll still get that glow on the horizon. Now there is an organization called the International Dark Sky Association. They do work to protect these areas, like these nighttime environments for dark sky viewing. And I think they're the ones that like give the award to people, right? Like the designation, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the designations and stuff. So what makes an excellent stargazing destination? First, before we jump into what makes a excellent stargazing destination, I want to just like put a little point in here that this is an excellent activity for full-time RVers. Yeah. Because as you're traveling across the country, there's multiple opportunities for dark sky parks, the national parks that we're going to get into later on, and observatories, different star activities that you can do across the country uh, that's really cool for your family their family activities they're not that expensive and sometimes they're free yeah and doing this can spark curiosity about the universe and stars and all that stuff and aliens yep show me damn aliens another good thing about rving is you can boondock in the middle of nowhere on blm land and these areas are normally darker they're a little ways away from the city and yep. you can get some really good stargazing. I'm thinking specifically when we were in Yuma. What is that little area? And that's actually right by the city, but it's really dark there. Barry Goldwater Ranch. Yes. Yeah. We did some stargazing there. That was really great. I mean, I would say all, most of our BLM areas are so remote that you don't have to worry about light pollution. Other than a few, like the one in New Mexico um, by the Air Force Base, instead of stargazing you get to like watch jets take off yeah but most boondocking spots are pretty remote enough where you can do some good stargazing yep and guess what it's free okay what makes a good stargazing destination two things low light pollution um you want the least amount of ambient lights from you know like the street lights and the buildings and vehicles and like billboards and stuff and the second thing clear skies and favorable weather conditions Another thing to keep in mind is the moon can cause issues seeing stars if you really want to see good stars in the Milky Way and that kind of thing, and even the aurora, um, where if you if you have your telescope out and you want to see the moon, then you would want to wait for you know a more full moon. Yeah, or if you want to, like some of the areas we're going to tell you, they're cool areas because of the formations and stuff in the park. Those are good times to have a moon, right? Because yep, then exactly. you'll see... You'll have enough light to see the formations, the mountains, the hoodoos, whatever it is that you're looking at, uh, but still see the stars as well. Yeah, and on the blog we'll share a couple photos of both. There was there was some Teton photos that we took that um, there was no moon, and the Milky Way was visible to like the naked eye, and we got some good pictures of that. I actually think we took one of those with like your cell phone, did we? No, no. Oh, those not were not one of those. No, but. The next time we went back to the Tetons, a year later, we were there at a different time of year, and there was a full moon, and they were, like, illuminating the Teton Mountains, so I got some good pictures of that with stars. Yeah, that was cool, so, too. So, that was really neat. So, that you got to keep that in mind, you know, if, whatever you're going to take a picture of. Speaking of national parks, let's talk about our top national parks for dark skies that we've visited. 
first and favorite? I would say Grand Teton National Park. Yeah. There's high elevation, low humidity. That keeps the, you know, cloud cover minimal to a minimum. Obviously, you're never guaranteed. Very little light pollution. One I will say about this, actually, what made me think of it was going through photos for this post. The When we were there in 2021, I was taking some night pictures of the Teton Mountains and had to time it right because the airport was open in Jackson, which is mm. all the air traffic flies right in front of the mountains. Last year when we were there, the airport was closed. For so, construction. Yeah, they were doing something to it. So there was no air traffic, so I didn't have to worry about any planes or jets or whatever going through there. And we should say that there's not a lot of lights by that airport because it's a very small airport, right? I don't remember seeing a lot. I mean, I feel like it's pretty busy. Really? Yeah, I think it's pretty busy because I I remember hearing a lot of air traffic. It's the only airport around for miles and miles because people come, you know, come into yellow. It's the closest one to Yellowstone. Mm, I don't think so. I think it is. We'll have to look it up. (laughs) If you're hearing this, it's because I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's some really good spots around this park to take, like, iconic photos. First one, Mormon Row Historic District. That's where you see the cool old barns. And you can get pictures of the barns with the back, the Tetons as a backdrop. Yeah, and what's really cool is if you can get a really good sky, you can have the Milky Way, like, running into the barns. Now, of yep. course, you might have to do a little bit of manipulation with your photo to get that to work to see the, the barn and the Milky Way. Uh, but I have seen some really good ones. Yeah. Another one is Oxbow Bend. That's kind of uh, more on the northern end of the park. Uh, but you, there's, like, the rivers there. You'll also get the Teton Range in the background yep. with those. And you can get the stars reflecting off the river. Then there's the Snake River Overlook. That's a really nice spot. Um, right there, the Snake River winds its way through. That's a real cool type of landscape photo you could take. You will also see the mountains in that one as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's really not a bad spot in Tetons <laughs> National Park to get a picture of the mountains. Uh, Jenny Lake. And you could get some good reflection. Yeah, I've one. seen some really good ones. I never uh, really had the opportunity or I never really wanted to go down there in the middle of the night to take pictures. Why not? Some dang bears. <laughs> Grizzly bears. <laughs> yeah, especially after we saw one like right near there. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can get the, get the uh, stars and the mountains reflecting off the lake if it's calm enough. And then there's the Signal Mountain Summit. We went up there during the day. When you get to the summit at Signal Mountain, there are... Major panoramic views from that area. Yeah, so you could easily get a good photo of the sky and then yep. possibly even have the land a little showing a little bit below yep. the photo. The next national park that is great for dark skies is Big Bend National Park, and we just went here. Yep. Another one that has is common to have clear skies and obviously low humidity. And there's some really cool places to take photos here. First is the Chizos Basin. Yep. Yeah, because you have the Chizos Mountains right there, which are, like, super dramatic, and they're very rugged looking. Combine that with the darkest skies. And having something like that, so when you're thinking about your composition of your photo, having this sharp jaggedness of the mountains, that's why the Tetons look so good as well, Mm -hmm. is because they're very jagged on top. I think that looks really good. And the contrast between that jagged line of the mountain and uh, the sky looks awesome. Yep. I think better than when you get like a rounded mountain. And the basin area is higher elevation and it's pretty easy to access it. Yeah, there's a paved road, right? Yep. 
that's an excellent spot for getting the Milky Way and stars. Speaking of that jagged line. Santa Elena Canyon is a really good spot along the Rio Grande. There's towering, huge cliff walls. And there's this, like, jagged canyon. Canyon. <laughs> I was trying to think of something else. There's this, like, jagged line that's, like, opening to the sky. So if yep. you can line that up pretty good, that would be a really cool photo. Yep. Another popular spot for that is the Boquillas Canyon Overlook. You can get some panoramic views of Rio Grande here and the surrounding landscape. Yep. I don't think you'll get shining stars on the Rio Grande, though. Maybe. Yeah, you probably could <laughs> if it's calm enough. Another great spot is the Mule Ears. Yep. Just because they're um, so distinct, they're iconic. You can you know the Mule Ears when you see them, and they have like the high contrast lines that you could see within the stars. Yeah, they're just like these huge, jagged triangles sticking up. Also on the list, which is really cool, we didn't actually end up get to getting to go to this area because we ran out of time, but we really want to do this, is the Dagger Flat Auto Trail. This would be really cool because there's a ton of dagger yucca plants, which are the yuccas that have the huge thing of flowers on the top. <laughs> yeah, they're actually called giant dagger yuccas, and they're massive. Like, some of them, when they get tall, they're, like, 10 feet tall. Those would be awesome in a starry photo. Like, if you had those in the foreground, and then you had, like, the starry background, yeah. I think that would be a really cool photo. Yeah, next absolutely. time we go to Big Ben, we're trying that. Yep. All right, next park, Bryce Canyon National Park. Also high altitude and very remote. And you have the hoodoos. Yep. yep. Which makes this park a really cool spot for photography, sky photography. Yeah, and this one would be really good under a full moon and get a, a good portion of those hoodoos sticking up. That would be really good with stars and Milky Way. We're actually probably going to be stopping by there this summer or this winter, I guess. Fall. I don't yeah, know. fall. <laughs> and we're going to try to get that photo. Yep. They also have a festival in Bryce Canyon. It's a multi-day event held in June when the skies are the clearest and the nights are pretty warm. That looks really cool. They have a lot of different events, a lot of different speakers. Um, I think they have some music and activities. It looks really fun. Um, and I would check out their website for all the details on that. You may have to get like a special ticket or reservation for it. So I would definitely check out their website. It's called the Bryce Canyon National Park Annual Astronomy Festival. I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, even if you're not really into astrophotography or... Um, stargazing like that much but I imagine there would be a lot of equipment and stuff there that would be interesting to try to look at the stars and stuff with right they, they yeah, probably they have, some, have some really cool telescopes and that kind of thing yeah I think they have a telescope they there's actually a shuttle that runs during the festival that takes you to different um, events and stuff and one of them is the telescope oh, like a cool. big telescope thing some of the best spots to take starry photos in Bryce Canyon is going to be Sunset Point. That's one of the most famous viewpoints in the park. Really great views of the Bryce Amphitheater and like all the hoodoos. Inspiration Point, uh, it's a viewpoint that has really great panoramic views. Bryce Point, another popular spot to photograph the stars. Pariah View, good views of the hoodoos and the Pariah Valley. And then there's Fairyland Point, which um, overlooks the Fairyland Canyon. And gives you a unique perspective of, like, the hoodoos and the stars. The next park that we went to that is 
a great dark sky. I would say this one may be better than Big Ben. And that is Great Basin National Park. This is literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there's not much around Great Basin National Park. Like, you don't even have to be in Great Basin to have beautiful dark skies. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just anywhere in the surrounding area. It's very isolated from major cities. There's minimal light pollution unless there's somebody out there with a flashlight. You will get great views of the Milky Way here. Yeah, this area actually has some of the darkest skies in the U.S. And cool thing about this park, they provide astronomy programs and they also have an annual astronomy festival. This one is in September and it's a few days, 14th through the 16th this year, but I would definitely check their website out for more information. All right, when you go to Great Basin, if you're going for dark skies, some popular spots to go, Mather Overlook. This viewpoint has a great view of the Great Basin Desert and like the surrounding mountain ranges. Bristlecone Pine Grove. This is cool because you can get the pines under the starlit sky, and I always think that those pictures are really cool when you can see like the little like parts of the top of the trees. Especially those bristlecone pine trees are like like the old ones. They're all twisted and mm -hmm. really, really neat looking. Cool photo if you get it. Yeah. Another one would be Wheeler Peak Scenic Drive. All along the Scenic Drive, there's a ton of different pullouts and viewpoints that provide really good stargazing spots. Stella Lake is another good location. It's at the base of Wheeler Peak. And if the lake's calm enough, you can get some really good reflections. Yep. Another great park for dark skies is Capitol Reef National Park. Another one due to its remoteness because it is in the middle of nowhere. They have some dramatic cliffs, some canyons, domes. They also have some interesting things like um, the schoolhouse. We'll talk yep. about that in the, the places. But they have some old buildings that you could probably play yep, exactly. with some good compositions. Yeah, there's really um, not a bad backdrop there because you either have, like, yeah, like you said, the historic buildings or the rock formations or both because, mm -hmm. you know, and deer. Yeah, lots You can get of deer. a deer to stand still long enough. <laughs> Super remote, practically no light pollution in that whole area. So here's some of the best locations within this park for night sky photography or stargazing. Let me guess. Sunset Point. <laughs> That's one of them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a sunset point in every park. <laughs> yep, this one's super easy to get to. Wide open sky views at this this point. Really cool, unique rock formations, and along with cliffs. Yeah, so you can get those like in the foreground and the stars behind. Yep, another one, surprise, panorama point. Panoramic views here, if you didn't guess by the name. you From this point, you can see the water pocket fold. And um, some of the park's, like, unique geologic features. Cathedral Valley. This is very remote here, but it's a really good, quiet area to view the dark skies. And you will get some good Milky Way shots here. Hickman Bridge Trailhead. This is another spot that has wide-open views of the night sky, along with, like, nearby rock formations. Another good spot is the Fruta Historic District. This is where you can get those barns. I don't know if you could get the the orchards in there, but that might be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. There's the schoolhouse. Yeah, there's all kinds of buildings there. There's the barns and stuff that you can go into, in and out of. I don't know if you can at night, but... 
There um, is that one barn, too, that it's open on both sides. Yep. I don't know if you could really work that, but that might be kind of a cool photo, too, if you could get the sky through the barn. Yeah, if you're able to get into the barn and maybe shoot out of it um, and kind of get some of the both the feet, the structure and the sky, that'd be pretty cool. Grand Wash, which was a really cool area that we visited, but then what was it last year? It was either, yeah, 2021 or 22. There was a, you're talking about like the flash floods that mm-hmm. happened? Yeah. So if you're there, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> it's raining. Now I'm scared to go down there. But this one, it's a, it's a really long, I don't know about really long, but it's a, it's a I pretty, think it's a mile or it's so. It's a remote uh, dirt road that drives in and out of some washes. So, but it's, there's really high cliffs on yeah. the other side. So if you get down in there and there's a flash flood, it's bad, but it's a really cool area. In fact, this area is why Alexi loves this park so much. Yeah, the Swiss cheese wall. Yes. So that'd be cool to get, you know, in the foreground with mm-hmm. some stars or Milky Way behind it. And then also in this area is the Strike Valley Overlook. This one's only accessible by the Burr Trail Road. This one here also has the panoramic views of the Water Pocket Fold and, and, Strike, Valley. and Strike Valley. This one has more of an elevated vantage point for those good wide open views. All right, our next park. We just did this one this year, too. Joshua Tree National Park. This park also hosts a variety of night sky programs. So really quick, this is in the southern part of California. Yep. It also has a dry climate, clear skies. It's deserty. Yeah, there's a few points that have high elevation as well. Mm-hmm. And they do have the Night Sky Festival, which is so cool. And I did not know about these before we started doing this podcast. And I'm going to be looking at them now to see if the park we're going to be at has one because it it's, looks really cool. Yeah, this year um, at Joshua Tree, the Night Sky Festival is running from October 13th to the 14th. But Joshua Tree is known for, obviously, Joshua Trees, <laughs> which would make a great foreground. And also their unique rock formations. They have some of the coolest mountain rocks yeah. I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's such a wide variety here because there's like, there's massive boulders like bigger than a house. Mm-hmm. And then there's like crumbling mountains from earthquakes and erosion and stuff. So, and then obviously the Joshua trees and stuff. But you can go all over this park and get different, like super cool, unique formations in your foreground pictures if you're doing photography. Yeah, we didn't get any with the Joshua Trees, and I'm not sure why. I feel like we have to go back there just yeah. for that photo. <laughs> we got a little, we got a lot of good daytime photos and, like, sunset photos with Joshua Trees, but we didn't do any night sky photography there. Yeah. All right, so what are some good spots to do it? Arch Rock. That's located by the White Tank Campground. Really cool rock formations there. And you can position the Milky Way with the arch, right? Yeah, certain times of the year, you if you line it up right, you can get the Milky Way in the arch. Another good spot is the Choya Cactus Garden. This is a pl- this is a good place if you want some really neat, spiky, spiky cactus in the <laughs> foreground. But you got to be careful walking around there in the dark because if yeah. you even get close to these things, they will attack you. <laughs> yeah, stay in the parking lot, get down low, and yeah. shoot up through them. <laughs> Keys View is another one. This is an elevated viewpoint that is going to give you, like, a panoramic view of the Coachella Valley, mm-hmm. Salton Sea, surrounding mountains. It would be a really gorgeous shot. Yeah, if it's not hazy or anything like that, you can you can see for miles. You probably would get some lights from cities and roads and stuff down there. But, you know, if that's 
how you're trying to compose a picture that would still make a good picture because you still have great dark skies above it. Through a big portion of the national park is these jumbo rocks that I think would be really cool in the foreground of photos. And a good spot to take pictures of these would be the campground because there's a parking lot there. I think they would be a good addition to a photo. I think the only thing is it'd be hard to actually show the size of them, yeah. you know, because to, to proportion them right. But they still would make like really good foreground objects. You can also get some of the Joshua trees in there because there are some Joshua trees nearby mm -hmm. as well. And then Skull Rock, that's a super popular spot to go during the day because you can climb all over Skull Rock, get your picture taken in there. It's also a super popular night photo too. So I'm sure you've seen photos of this one. If you've yeah. seen, like if you Google night time photos in Joshua Tree, this is a big one because yeah. it's a skull at night. So of yeah. course people want to take pictures of it. And this, this would be <laughs> an, one like we mentioned with a full moon. Um, so you have some of that ambient light. Unless you're using a light source of some yeah. sort. But I would experiment with some different angles and like, especially because wherever you're at, the face looks a little different. Yep. So you might be able to get it in a really good angle that looks spooky. Yeah. Another Utah park, Canyonlands National Park. Not quite as remote as the other ones, but still really far out there. And it's a huge park, so you can actually get really remote in it. And there's a lot of arches, so you can get some yep. really cool backdrops. There's the main arch, which we'll talk about here in a second, which is Mesa Arch, which would be amazing to get, like, the stars, you know, below it. I think that's look really cool when you can get, like, the stars below the arches. Yeah, exactly. I think that looks really cool. Yeah, you kind of split the photo mm -hmm. between the two, yeah. Um, they also offer ranger-led stargazing programs here at Canyon Lens. And some good locations. Let's get into those. Definitely not the switchbacks. <laughs> Do not go on the switchbacks. <laughs> yeah, I would probably avoid the switchbacks uh, at night because it, it does get very dark there, and um, it's a thousand foot fall. Yeah, <laughs> we talk about that in our Schaefer Trail podcast. I don't know which one. Maybe one is it our first podcast. Maybe one of the most popular places to do these photos at night is the Mesa Arch because it offers such a really good view, and you have that arch there that you can put in the foreground. It can get Certain times of year, it can get packed early. So, yeah, very crowded. Yeah, so you might have to set up camp there for a few hours. But you can take some amazing photos. Like you can do what I just mentioned where you put the stars under the arch. You can get the stars above the arch. You could kind of play around, maybe get the moon yep. playing around with the arch. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things. Another good one is the Green River Overlook. This one has a viewpoint above the Green River and like the surrounding canyons. And that this whole area um, is just amazing as far as, like, how deep some of the canyons go. You can see the river down below. So I think that would be a really cool night shot with full moonlight and stars and possibly Milky Way. White Rim Overlook. Um, this one is a little more secluded, so it's a little lesser known, um, but still excellent for night sky viewing because it's very wide open. But this one offers views of, like, the rivers and canyons below as well. The Needles District? Yeah, this one has like the really tall sandstone spire looking things, almost like hoodoos, but... Those will look great in a photo. The last cool place, Island in the Sky. Yeah, this is a very... This is an elevated overlook. This one looks east over the Schaefer Canyon, so kind of in the same... Right in the same area that has the switchbacks. So that's, it, a, that's a, definitely a place to be careful if you're going to drive down on the Schaefer Trail. 
But this spot has like super wide open views. Kind of looking towards Moab, you can see possibly see the river down there and all the canyons. At certain points, you can see parts of the switchbacks. Our last park that we picked, and this was hard because there are a lot of choices, <laughs> is Glacier National Park in Montana. Glacier is an excellent destination for dark skies because they have low light pollution, which is a plus. They have high elevation. They have clear skies. Montana is known for its big, clear skies, so that is perfect for stargazing. And it's Montana, so it's in the middle of nowhere anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and like most parks, most um, dark sky national parks, they have ranger-led activities as well. Yep. The first good spot to be in Glacier for nighttime photos or stargazing is Logan Pass. That's going to be the highest point in the park. You'll be in the stars. You'll be in the stars. <laughs> the only bad thing about that is you have to take the going to the sun road up to Logan Pass, and if, you know, you don't get there early, you're doing it in the dark. Yeah, but if you get there too early, you have to have a reservation. Another good thing about going to Logan Pass for this is it's probably one of the most accessible areas in the park. Like, you can just go to the parking lot. You don't have to exactly. hike to it. And it's a huge parking lot, and any of the little paths around that area, they're all paved. They're mostly paved. Yeah, you could pretty much park in the parking lot, get your telescope out, and do it right there as yep. well. Another good spot is Lake McDonald. This is the largest lake in Glacier. This is a great spot if you want to try to get those reflections of the stars yep. on the lake. Yeah, because you can have you can have trees and mountains and stars and Milky Way, like all in the same spot. And water. Another really good spot would be at Mini Glacier. This this spot offers like a variety of really good landscapes, like mountains, valleys. And Swift Current Lake is right there. And right on the other side is a big peak. And if you're lucky, you can get like a grizzly bear or something. Yeah. Moose? Is yeah, moose those, all, all that stuff lives up there. Like yeah. we saw many, um, we saw quite a few grizzlies in Mini Glacier. Yeah. Big ones. <laughs> that you don't want to see at nighttime, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're in your car. Yeah. Another one is St. Mary Lake. This is the second largest lake in the park. And what's really cool about this is there is um, an island in the middle of the lake called Wild Goose Island. And this is a famous little island. It's actually in... It's in the beginning of The Shining. Yeah, the beginning of The Shining. I couldn't think of the movie, so thanks. It's in the beginning of The Shining when they're flying over. Like, I'm talking with the credits when they're flying over, like, when you first get in to yep. the to the movie. Um, but if you can get that that island in your photo, I think that would be a really cool composition. Yeah, because uh, that one is also surrounded by very tall mountains. So that would be a good... And there, there's a plenty of little um, overlooks and trails that go right down to the water. So Again, of, you have to walk where the bears are. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, a lot of different options there. And then Two Medicine Lake is also another one. This one's usually less crowded. It's a less popular spot. So a couple of quick things about the parks that we picked. Number one... It was very hard. There's a lot of national parks that just naturally fit into the dark sky yep. area because of their seclusion and, you know, they're away from lights. So it works really well for dark skies. And we've been to, what, 31 parks now? 32. 32 parks now. So it was very hard to pick these, but we tried to pick our favorites. Also, when you're inside the park, 
there is no bad spot. We picked a few favorite spots just to show you where to like get started, but you could literally be on the road on a pull-off and get an amazing shot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so um, it was really hard to just pick a few different spots and not make this podcast like three hours long. Mm-hmm. So we just picked some of the top spots, which actually happen to be good spots to take any photograph, daytime, nighttime, anytime. Uh, but yeah, I would, I, I think most of our photos day or night, are mostly just winging it. Like we mm-hmm. rarely like planned trips just for photography. It's like we're just on this going to the sun road and there's, you know, all along the route, there's 10 pull-offs. We stop at like six of them just yeah. to look and just click off pictures. So so you could do that for a night sky yeah. event. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, we just picked some of my favorite spots um, to take any photograph and I think that they would turn out really good for night skies as well. And if you show up in the show notes, we will drop some pictures that we've taken at Dark Skies. I think it'll work really good. Yeah. So moving on, let's talk about just one quick little note we wanted to add here is a Dark Sky community. So we've been to one of these. It's in Cottonwood, Arizona. And if you don't know where Cottonwood is, it's near Sedona. If you don't know where that is, that is like central Arizona near Flagstaff. Yeah. We've done a post about this area. We really like this area a lot. Um, it's near Jerome, which yeah. we talked about a ton on a couple different podcasts. And this has been designated an international dark sky community. Yep. By the Dark Sky Association we talked about earlier. Yeah, and what makes it a dark sky community is they have like specific rules and regulations that limit the amount of light that uh, businesses and that kind of thing can have. They don't have like the super bright LEDs on all night. Yeah, it's actually like it highlights the town's commitment to preserving. So it's not just a national park. It's not just one business. It's the entire town has agreed to do this. And so the local community and the government have worked to do this. The great thing about Cottonwood and the reason why we wanted to mention it is because we have seen it's a great destination, first of all, for our viewers because it's right near what is that Prescott National Forest. Yep. Um, There's a thousand trails there. There's Jerome there. There's all these great places that you can stay. And we have seen some of the best skies ever here. Yeah. I I have literally seen, I wanted to make a note of this because I've seen the most shooting stars in one night in Cottonwood, like just at our campground. I was just walking the dogs and just happened to be looking up. It was in, we're usually there like in November, which is a common time for one of the meteor showers that happens all the time. Just walking the dogs, looking up at night, I've seen two dozen shooting stars in a matter of like 10 minutes. I saw one that went from one horizon to the other and it like blew my mind. It was so cool. Tony's actually pretty good at seeing shooting stars all over the country. He's always telling me about how he sees these shooting stars. I don't see near as many as you do. And I remember being in Teton one time and you're like, Kristen, if you just come out and look, you just have to have patience. And I have zero patience. So yeah, you can't just walk outside and look up and go, yeah, okay, and then walk back in. You, gotta <laughs> l- you have to let your eyes adjust for like five, ten minutes. So he's like, just give it a few minutes. So I went out there, and I was already like, okay, I'm over this. And he's like, a couple more minutes. And I was like, oh, I just saw one. <laughs> like, I really did. And then I was like out there for like another 30 minutes because it was just so cool. But I just wanted to say because you have seen so many of these and Cottonwood stands out to you as yeah. like the most, the most uh, One of the shooting mo- stars. The, the most memorable shooting stars I've ever seen. So we did want to mention that really quickly. 
We haven't stayed at any others, but I'll link in the show notes other communities. There's some in Idaho. There's a few others as yeah, well. Yeah, most of them are out west. Um, but Is there one in Utah? Did you say? Did we I, go to that one? I, I don't remember. Uh, there's, I think, Torrey, Utah, which I think is by Capitol Reef. But I, when we were looking up the dark sky community thing, like the rules and regulations and stuff, I think there was like maybe less than 20 yeah. in the U.S. Yep, that's correct. Because the whole town has to agree to it. Yep. Like, it can't just be one or two businesses because you have that one that's like all lit up like a Christmas yep. tree. Throws it all off. All right, let's talk about some tips for successful stargazing. Number one, plan ahead. You need to research the park that you plan to visit. Make sure you can get in. For example, one of the parks that is an international dark sky is Petrified Forest National Park, but they close at 5 p.m. So not going to be a good park to do it at. Now, however, you can camp right outside the park. Yep, exactly. So you could possibly do it there, but uh, But, you're not going to be in the park. Yeah, you can't even walk into the park because they have gates. They lock the gates and they have patrols. Being a dark sky park doesn't mean anything if you can't visit it, so... Keep that in mind. But definitely plan ahead. Make sure, you know, check in any events they have, if there's a festival going, if there's a Ranger Lud program that you can do, um, the parks rules, regulations, all of those things. Plan ahead. Also, choosing the right time to go. Obviously, you want to plan ahead for weather. You want clear skies. You don't want to have any cloud cover or haze. Another thing to keep in mind if you're out west is wildfire smoke. Mm -hmm. We were in the Tetons before when there was heavy, heavy smoke. And the moon phases. You have to pay attention to those depending on the different compositions you want. Just because there's a full moon, though, does not mean you can't get good photos. We did that with the Tetons. Also, I want to mention that the Teton photo, I'm pretty sure, has a bunch of clouds in it as well. Of some, yeah. And it's still a really cool photo. So just because you have clouds, just because you have a full moon, doesn't mean that you can't get a cool photo. Uh, We'll put a photo in the show notes that, that demonstrates that. Another thing, another tip, arrive early. Give, give yourself enough time to explore. <laughs> this what? one's funny because I always am like the impatient one that's like, do we have to go an hour early? You're like, yes, yeah. you have to plan. You have to like get the perfect spot just in case there's people there. You have to get your equipment. He, he hates being rushed for anything. And I'm like, let's get in, get in, take the photo, get out. Yeah. Kind of person. <laughs> Where I could sit there for three hours. Yeah. Li- just listening to nothing. <laughs> You're like, I have, to, I have to get the tripod in the right spot. I have to like, <laughs> like good grief, just pop that thing up. It's cold out here. <laughs> Which, by the way, the next one, dress appropriately. <laughs> yep. Especially when you're in, at elevation or out in the desert. Uh, even in the summer when it's hot during the day, the temperature can, as soon as that sun goes away, you can feel the difference in temperature and it can get really cold at night. So make sure you dress in layers and warm clothing. Next, bring the right gear. I recommend a red flashlight or red headlamp that helps keep your eyes, you know, like um, used to the dark. Adjusted. Adjusted. Yeah, Yeah, because I will say there's been there's been times even um, when you're doing night photography and sometimes you review your photo, it takes a once you look at that bright screen, it takes your eyes a minute to to adjust back to that night vision. You don't have to worry about it if you don't wear, like, a bright LED headlamp or something like that. That red light is easier on the eyes. And it's good for, even if you're not taking photographs, using the telescope, you don't, you still want to focus your eyes and adjust your eyes to the dark yep. with your telescope. So use the red flashlight. It just, it's easier. That goes for using your phone, too. If you're 
you know, taking photos or looking through the telescope and then you look at your phone for something, if you don't have that, uh, if you don't have that brightness adjusted way down, it can affect your night vision for a few minutes. Make sure you take a telescope. And binoculars. Binoculars are something that I never think of, but it actually is easier to look through your binoculars and just see, like, an area and then focus in on it with your telescope. Sometimes it's hard to, like, find exactly what you want, at least for me. Yeah. Exactly what you want with a telescope because your eyes are, like, going all over the place in this little tiny telescope. And it's shaking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Where with the binoculars kind of gives you the overall area, and then you can really zoom in with the telescope. One thing that's handy that we use, we have several different options on our phones, are stargazing apps. There's a a ton of free ones that are super handy. They're really cool because you actually hold the phone up to the sky and it'll tell you what you're looking at. So as you move your phone around, it knows the stars that you're looking at because of, you know, GPS and stuff. Yeah, and we have one that shows... um, some of the um, satellites and like the International Space Station and stuff, it shows the exact position and it kind of gives you, uh, it shows like the path it's going to take. So if it's, if it's going to come out, you can see I've actually used it, had to wait like 15 minutes for it to clear the horizon. And then we could actually see it go across the sky and it moves really fast. Like it surprised me how fast it went. It's pretty cool. We'll link that in the show notes. And also I just mentioned not looking at your phone at night. A lot of these stargazing apps, um, they have a night setting, so it's like a dim uh, dim light. And like the black background. Yep. All right, the next one's not for me, so must be yours. Patience, patience, patience. <laughs> Who needs patience? You got to take time to allow your eyes to adjust. The, the more time you, s- you sit in the dark and just staring at the sky, the more in focus all these stars will be and the more stuff you'll see. As long as there's no mosquitoes, <laughs> as long as it's not freezing. And get on your little mosquito net or your DEET. <laughs> Next, you should follow leave no trace principles. This is something you should do when you're doing any activity, especially in the national parks. But this is pack it in, pack it out. Don't be leaving your chip bags yeah. out next to <laughs> your spot that you were sitting. And if you are out west in some of the grizzly states, don't pack food in your backpack. Oh, yeah, True. I mean, if you're out in the grizzly states, then just don't go near, go, don't go away from your car. Yeah. <laughs> just sit right outside your car. Open your sunroof. <laughs> yeah, better yet. <laughs> Take your lids off your Jeep. Another good tip is be mindful of light pollution that you might be creating. Mm-hmm. Could be uh, your headlamp. If you have a bright light on a headlamp or a flashlight, your car lights. Your car your lights, lights is a big one. I think one time we did something, you actually either turned it off or something. You did something before we got there. So, like, it didn't turn on. I don't remember, but you did something so it wouldn't turn cool on. story. Like, when you opened the door, it wouldn't turn oh, on. Yeah, 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 I can't You can remember. turn off the interior dome light and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I don't remember where that was either. Next tip, you should share the experience. Make sure you take family, friends, your kids. You can do ranger-led programs. Um, there was some, while we were in Big Bend, they offered a couple... But definitely join those. They're really educational, interesting. They'll teach you about something that, you know, is kind of connected to the park, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Also, stargazing groups. This is kind of dorky, but I think it sounds really fun. I'm sure you can find them on Facebook or, like, local areas, you know, if they're going out to do an event. What's really cool, too, is you could probably find a photography stargazing group, which Mm -hmm. is going to be going to do something at nighttime. And then they're, like, going to be experts or professionals 
or maybe more experienced than you, but not professionals. But either way, you all work together and get great photos. Yeah, um, especially if you look up like on one of the you know Facebook or whatever. I know in Michigan there's an international dark sky park. If you look on their Facebook page, they put out like calendar of events, and they have, you know, obviously it all depends on the weather, but there's all kinds of stuff. They they provide all of the gear, yeah, all the equipment. A lot of times they'll have like a really good um, telescope that yeah. you can use. Actually, um, during the festivals, that's another thing too. Go to the festivals. Yeah. <laughs> There's a festival because those would be a lot of fun. And I'm pretty sure one of the festivals, when I was reading up on them, does even has a solar yeah. telescope. So like during the day, because just think these festivals are happening and the only good activities are from nighttime <laughs> yep. to midnight or whatever. So, um, you know, during the day they have other events and one of them is a solar thing, which is kind of cool because you yep. can look at the sun through a special telescope. Yep. Finally, you cannot forget your comfortable chairs, your cozy blanket, some hot chocolate, hot tea. Get really comfortable so that you're not rushing your husband. Because if you're with me, you're going to be there for a while. <laughs> Just get super, super comfortable. Throw in an audible. <laughs> yeah. You'll be good. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some tips for photographing the night sky. This is kind of, so before we get started here, you're going to obviously be in, give them some tips and some advice, mm -hmm. um, but what we want you to know up front is this is practice. You need to go out and you need to play around with your camera and do what works because these settings can change dramatically depending on, you know, if there is any light pollution, if there is a moon, if, you know, whatever, whatever. Yep. Um, so all these settings will change. Uh, but one thing I do know is it needs to be a very steady photo. Yes. So I cannot do these photos unless it's a tripod with a remote. <laughs> I cannot touch the camera at all. Yeah, so one of the most important pieces to night photography is a really good, sturdy tripod. I've taken a lot of photos over the years. Some of them just sitting the camera on the hood of a vehicle and doing it. And they're good. They're pretty good. <laughs> But you're but very normal. <laughs> but you're very limited to what you can take pictures of as well. I you think know. you took one holding it too. I have taken. Like I've a, taken fire fireworks and stuff handheld. I think you took a star photo with your cell phone once. I was shocked. I think I laid it down on the Oh. Hood. I don't okay. think I handheld it. <laughs> the reason you want a, the most sturdy tripod that you can get is because to do night photography you have to have a long exposure. You have to take a long exposure with your camera, and any movement whatsoever will create blur. So if the wind can blow your tripod, yeah. you'll have blur. Yeah, that's why when I'm doing any type of night photography, um, I usually have a strap on my camera, but it has a quick release on it. I take the strap off so the wind can't blow it. Mm -hmm. And he actually has a very good tripod. We actually lost part of the tripod. In night photos. Yep. We're taking night photos. Yeah, in Arches, yeah. Yeah, in Arches National Park. And we lost part of the tripod, and they sent him a new one for free. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it's a ProMaster tripod. I don't remember what model, but it's a nice one. And um, the Arca Swiss mount, the whole head fell off. I don't know how. I don't know if it got was loose already, and then when we were putting it back in the Jeep, it just fell off or whatever. But it was gone because it wasn't, I tore the whole Jeep apart the next day. <laughs> We went back into Arches looking for it in the parking area where we were. Couldn't find it. So, And without but, that, it's useless. Yeah. So it was really nice for them to send that to us. Yep, yep. So I just emailed them, and they have a great warranty. 
And uh, they actually sent it to us while we were still in Moab. Like, I had it in probably just a couple days. Yeah, we told them. We were like, we'll pay for it, but yeah. please tell us you have something. And they're like, better yet. Yep. It's free. Yep. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is plan your shoot. So we talked a little bit about this in the last tip section, but you need to research your location really well. You need to make sure you're checking your weather forecast. Choose the right um, night that has the minimal cloud cover moonlight, darkest skies, all of that, and then make sure you're familiar with, um, you know, the area and make that sure you're not going to drive off a cliff or something. Make sure, yeah, where you're going is open. Yes. Like Petrified <laughs> Forest, you hate to drive there in the middle of the night and then come to a gate. Even, you know, even in Glacier, there was, we were there one time, I want to say that going to the Sun Road had a closure at night for some for construction or something like that. Do you remember that? I think it closed no. at like 11, from like 11 to 6 or something like that, 12 to 6, something like that. So, yeah, make sure you know that stuff ahead of time. Now, as far as planning your shoots, I don't know. We don't really plan much, but sometimes we just wing it. Sometimes we just get an itch to do it. Yeah. But if you're, you know, if you're in an area. I think most people plan. We're most people not. plan, yeah. <laughs> We're just really bad at it. Also, get a, a moon phase app, lunar lunar calendar or whatever. That way you can tell, you know, if you wanted, if you're in the Tetons and you want a full moon lit mountain range, you want to be there at the right time. Another tip, you need to make sure you have the right camera and the right lens. Yep, this can be done with really any type of camera that you can do a long exposure, but your results will vary greatly. Like, yeah, anything from a cell phone. Tony's done them with a cell phone. I have a mirrorless camera and you have a DSLR Yep. and you've done it with all of them. Yep. Yeah, we've used our little Sony point-and-shoots for a little, you know, just messing around, nothing great. But um, they'll all do it. It's just the quality of your picture will vary with the camera. And what kind of lens? You want to use a wide-angle lens for most of your landscape stuff. Unless you're doing moon photography or something like that, you, then you want to zoom in on it. I use a 24-70. to 70. That's my widest lens that I have. It does have a really fast aperture. It's a 2.8 lens. That's another thing that you want to have is... Uh, a lens with the widest aperture possible. So that's going to dictate how much light can enter the lens. And I have a difference. What do I have? So you are you have a widening. You have a 17 to 28, I think. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what your aperture is. Is it low? 2.8. So, so that's good. The smaller the aperture, the better for night for long exposures like that. Manual focus. So I'm, I kind of use both. One thing that I do, I learned somewhere along the lines is if I use live view and I can use my live view zoom to zoom in on a star or something and focus it that way, sometimes autofocus does a great job. Other times I try it a few times, it doesn't work at all. Then I switch it over to manual and I can fine tune that, that focus. You want to make sure that you're using the right camera settings, the mode, the aperture, ISO, shutter speed. Yeah, there's some cameras will have like a, uh, if you're using an auto mode, some of them have a night mode and stuff. Doesn't really do the same thing. It usually it gives you a little bit longer exposure, but it doesn't. It's not going to give you what you want for astrophotography. Um, so manual. So set it into manual. This is definitely something you want to practice. You don't want to go out into the field and try to get your best photo, uh, not knowing any of these things. So just practice, a, you know, on a few nights. Even if you don't get anything great, you kind of get it familiar with how to set your camera up. We've taken some great star photos in our backyard when we had a house. Yep. So, I mean, we take great star photos now, always in our backyard, but. Yeah. <laughs> a 
aperture, you're going to want to go with the widest aperture, right? Lowest number. Yep. Available to the lens that you have. Your ISO should be... So I typically shoot my ISOs between 1600 and 3200. And ISO is just a... To make it... To simplify it, it's kind of a brightness setting. It's going gonna, it's gonna to modify your image. The higher the number, like at 3200, it's going to give you a little bit more of a brighter photo. But... On the other hand, it can create more noise or grain in the photo. Sometimes that can be cleaned up in um, post-processing. Sometimes it's too bad and, it, and it's, you have a hard time doing that. And some cameras do really good at higher numbers. Like yep. my camera actually goes pretty darn high. Yep. I think my numbers, I think it's like, what, 16,000? Yep. I think yours goes higher than that, but... Yeah, it goes higher than that, but there's, like, normally there... I don't know what the theory is behind this, but there's normally, like, like two different numbers, and I and I don't really know, so... So <laughs> yours, yours, yours has a window that it really excels in, but outside of that, like, lower or higher, it doesn't do yeah, as well. Yeah, it's, like, 640 and then 16,000 are, yeah. like, the best settings, <laughs> and I could totally be wrong on those numbers, but around that area. I know that when I click at, click... When I change my ISO um, to those spots, it gets really clear, so I can tell which number it is. Yep. And another piece to this puzzle is shutter speed. You typically can go with a pretty wide range of shutter speeds. Usually for stars, you start about 15 seconds, sometimes a little bit lower, 10 seconds maybe. But 15 seconds to, th to 30 seconds are going to give you a pretty good starting point, you know, and adjust from there in between. If you go longer than 30 seconds, uh, a lot of times you start to get the star trails where it looks like the star, it looks blurred almost. Isn't there a rule? There's a rule. It's a 500 rule. So 500 divided by your lens's focal length. So if you... That's, a, yeah. that's a guideline for your longest exposure time if you don't want star trails i actually think they're kind of cool so sometimes it, i like star trails <laughs> i have a photo that i picked out to share it's of a back in 2020 there was a comet that you could see comet neowise i did take pictures of that uh over a farm field just near flint michigan um <laughs> i just drove out as far into the country as i could get without driving too far i got some light pollution i got some star trails and i got the comet so it's not the clearest photo because I just comes what I was working. On, I was getting annihilated by mosquitoes, and I didn't <laughs> want to be out there very long. So, but I still got it. I still got what I wanted. The five hundred rule is it's not in stone. I mean, you can yeah, play exactly. around with it, but you'll know when you take the photo. And the good thing is, you can take another one. Yep, it's kind of like a <laughs> a good baseline. The only bummer is if that shooting star happens right in the middle of it, and then you don't get another shooting star. Yeah, <laughs> but other than that. The stars aren't moving that fast. You can easily take another one. Yep. Another thing that's important is to shoot in RAW, especially if you're going to be editing in Photoshop or Lightroom or any photo editing program um, because it just saves so much more information on that digital photo than if you shoot it in like a, you know, a JPEG or whatever. My favorite, use a remote shutter release or self-timer. Yep. And I just like the shutter release because I have no patience for a self timer. <laughs> so I've used both, and I typically because we don't we don't I don't travel with all the my photography gear, so I kind of left a lot of those remotes and and stuff like that. So that's what I'll do. I'll set a two second timer. That way, when I press the shutter, I can pull my hand back, and if I've created any type of movement on the camera, it's settled by then. By the time it takes a picture. 
my phone, my camera has an app on my phone. Yeah. So can just do it right from my phone. But I have used, I've, I've used cordless remotes. I've used wired remotes and I've done the, um, just the timer. Another thing is to take multiple exposures of the same thing. Cause chances are, you know, uh, a little bit of wind or whatever can change the, the sharpness of your photo. And you can stack or, your images as well. And like, yep. You can take multiple them. images of the same thing, stack them. And sometimes that helps with like the noise in post-processing and the sharpness and stuff. Focus. But that's getting a little bit more advanced. You're definitely yeah. going to have to look up a YouTube video to do that. <laughs> and I, I I rarely do that because I don't have patience. I'm just like, okay, yeah, let's just a, take one, take this one photo that I liked a lot and just adjust it as much as I can, and I'm good with that. Because I'm not selling these photos or anything. These are just like for, for funsies. It's not that you don't have patience because you have a lot of patience. It's that you don't like technology. I don't So like once it. you get into the post-processing, you're bored, and you yeah. want to just get the one photo. Where yeah. I like that. I like doing the yeah. technology part <laughs> and i don't like taking the photos yeah exactly <laughs> also you should experiment with your composition uh you can get so many different objects in your foreground or possibly even like in the background i don't know what that would yep. be like with the stars under the arch for example and just like just like sunset photos you know sometimes you're so focused on the sunset and how good it looks you forget to look behind you because sometimes that looks as good or better mm-hmm. same thing yeah same thing with you know doing night photography if there's something in the foreground that's cool maybe just turn your turn your um lens a couple degrees one or the other to try to frame it a little different and i know you're trying to avoid the moon in most time or most of the time you're trying to avoid the moon but sometimes the moon looks really cool and what it's shining on as yep. well yep exactly Post-process your images. One of my favorite parts. You can use different photo editing softwares like Adobe Lightroom, Photoshop to adjust your exposure, your white balance. Try to reduce some of the noise. Experiment with different types of techniques like that stacking we just mentioned um, to create cleaner and more detailed images. Yeah, and it depends on what you're doing with the photo. If it's something you're going to frame or sell or something, you you probably do want to spend more time cleaning that picture up or cropping sometimes just a little bit of cropping makes a world of difference all right our last section that we're going to talk about is getting your kids involved yep this is a big thing that we try to do with every single activity Uh, we get our kids involved in everything sometimes maybe too much stuff but (laughs) we get our kids involved in everything so when it comes to stars you better bet we're getting our kids involved yep And there's a lot of cool ways to get them involved. Um, One is star maps and apps. So we talked about the apps earlier. Our kids really enjoy the apps. If you Mm -hmm. throw that on an iPad, it makes it even cooler. But they have it on their smartphones as well. But the iPhone or the iPad is a little cooler just because it's bigger. Um, But we have it on there. They also have star maps, which are really cool to help them learn, you know, what they're seeing in the sky, the constellations, the planets, different things. Yep, and keeping it simple, you know, um, just learning about some of the main or the most visible constellations can make it fun. You know, when, when you go out and look, we actually, in when we were staying at Barry Goldwater this, this past winter, uh, it was after the tarantula event, so nobody wanted to go outside, but it was a meteor shower. I finally talked the girls, the kids, into going outside and sitting with me, so they got on top of the Jeep. <laughs> and just laid up they put a blanket down and just laid up there for like 15 minutes and we saw like 10 or 12 shooting stars so it was pretty cool and they had a good time and you know it was like one of their first times really seeing like a meteor shower 
You can also get some fun cards, like uh, playing cards, but it shows different um, constellations on them, too, to find find where they're at in the sky. That's really cool. Another fun activity is you can create a scavenger hunt, so you can list out some constellations or stars, planets, things you want the kids to find, and then help them find them either through the telescope or just through their naked eyes, and um, that's a fun and engaging way as well. Yep. Another fun thing to do is storytelling. Kids love stories, and so it's great entertainment to tell some fun cultural, historical facts yeah, about the stars. Yeah, exactly. It's fun to tell a story, or even for us, to learn about why why the Big Dipper or the Little Dipper is actually Ursa Minor and Ursa Major. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a story behind that. It's not just a big – it's easier to just say Big Dipper, Little Dipper, whatever – but there is a fun story behind it and like all the um what is it some of the zodiacs signs mm-hmm. and stuff like the constellations up there we found some of those like the gemini and like the some of the other ones another cool thing about that too is the stars have been around for all of human life so there are some really cool stories about our past like humans that were here before and how they used them i'm how just how they interpret them and yeah like kind of like this is not night sky, but the summer solstice or whatever. What is it? The the petroglyphs thing oh, yeah, that yeah. I think is yep. super cool. What is it? Summer solstice? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So they have made petroglyphs on a rock that's, that literally shows the summer solstice. Yep. Like it's insane how it works. So it's just really cool to tell those stories as well. Other fun things, for especially for little kids, is crafts. You can make fun viewers, like with paper tubes, or create your solar systems, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Science fair project stuff. Yeah, that's all fun, and it gets them involved. Ask questions and encourage curiosity. So this is really good because when you're asking open-ended questions, it gets them talking. And what's really cool is when they ask a question back to you and you either A, don't know the answer, or B, pretend that you don't know the answer. (laughs) And then you go and you look it up with the kid. They love being like, oh, I learned that with mom. I learned that with dad. You know, mom wouldn't have known that if I didn't ask the question. It really does encourage them to ask those kind of questions, and it's a fun topic as well. It gets them thinking. (laughs) Yeah. And then finally, attend ranger-led programs, stargazing events, those festivals we mentioned. I think my kids would eat that up. Yep. If I said we're going to a festival and you get to stay up in the park until midnight, they would love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that wraps up this podcast. This is another long one. <laughs> so uh, Tony's going to have some fun editing this one. If you need any of the show notes or links to this post, you can find them at thefuelas.com slash 78. Follow us on all the social networks at The Feolas. And please head over to exploremorethreads.com and sign up for updates. I think that's a wrap. So grab your hot chocolate, your cozy blanket, and your telescope. And go enjoy the cosmos. Nice. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> My first, first time. First time recording. We're gonna guard. We're gonna guard, guard you, guardian of the galaxy. <laughs> and make sure you're following us on. No. 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 Don't follow us. What is that? There's a what? That's that noise I always hear. That's your heart. It's not. <laughs> that's that that oh. beat would be beating at like 150. Maybe it's the roadcaster heartbeat. Oh. <gasps>
Maybe we need a new Roadcaster yeah. Pro 2. Three major things. Actually, just kidding. There's two major. Actually, before we get into the what makes it good, I want to do this. There's the... one major. <laughs> no. There's no I want to talk things. about the boondocking. <laughs> God, I cannot talk. You say it. The snake wiver. The snake wiver. <laughs> so you're gonna take mine out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the idea. Landscape. I can't say any of these words. <laughs> you can say it. They also have an annual astronomy pastrami festival. <laughs> pastrami. <laughs> be mindful of. Be bleh, what? Mm -hmm. Do join, do join your, join your ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Insert Jeep engine revving. No. <laughs> and go find yourself some stars. Or, or no, some aliens. <laughs>